and then we were arrested when having not done anything wrong because we were perceived to be anti-royal protesters on account of how we were dressed like zombies on the day of the royal wedding. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Hannah. Hello, Hannah. Hello. <laughs> How do you know me? We bumped into each other at a few different parties and stuff, but I think our main contact is Hayley, yeah. who's in your band, and I know her from actually back when I was a teenager. We were both went to young Quaker summer schools, and then I bumped into her on a woodcraft camp as well. There's a lot of overlap between okay. Quakers and Woodies. And yeah, so I've, I've known her since I was a teenager. Cool. So you're both Quakers. That's mm-hmm. right. I'd forgotten that you were a Quaker. Mm. So my third... I think you're my third Quaker on the show. We get around. My good friend Zoe is also a Quaker. Oh. I went to her Quaker wedding. So oh, they're brilliant. I found it good. I was expecting to find it my worst nightmare, but uh, I found it good. Because I, I don't like silence. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. But funnily enough, I, I enjoyed that silence. Mm. Maybe I'm getting more mature, I don't uh, know. I'm not great with silence. I still sort of tend to get like one line of a song stuck in my head the few times I've been to Quaker meetings recently. But the wedding ceremonies, I absolutely love that it's just friend. I take my friend to be my husband friend. Yeah. I There's nothing to object to. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's the most feminist uh, mm. wedding you can get, I guess, yeah. without not getting married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, mm. yeah no, I mean marriage is a complicated thing I, I change my mind about it all the time mm. me, me and Jen have been together 11 years and we're currently not getting married okay <laughs> congratulations uh, yeah <laughs> we were going to have a party to celebrate not getting married but then we decided not to actually we might <laughs> we might elope now we've got plans ah. that we might elope because what maybe what we didn't like is the idea of everyone getting together <laughs> like not that we don't like our friends but that we don't like the hassle of organizing yeah and, and you have to invite everyone don't you yeah you and there can be sort of eggshell scenarios with like that relative doesn't like that relative or like yeah that happens in my family sometimes yeah. too arguments happen and i don't want that to happen on my on my because, <laughs> because of me and the other question mm-hmm. that i ask is what do you do now ah um yeah, it's, a, it's a bit of a kicker i'm afraid yeah um well i'm <laughs> unemployed um but whenever that comes up, I always feel the need to go, but but I used to do, um, I, I used to edit textbooks in quite a well-known organisation, and then I used to work for so-and-so. Being unemployed is a bit weird because you realise how much status of yours is tied to yeah. jobs in some ways. Although you made the decision to say that you were unemployed rather than the decision to say you're a writer. It's yeah. a thorny issue, this question, for all <laughs> writers. Yeah. Like, I find when I'm asked at a party, what do you do? Mm. I want to kind of say I'm a musician and I'm a writer and mm. I'm, I'm a creator. But that sounds wank. Yeah, this is a unlike doing spoken word as well, like saying, "Oh, I'm a poet." You yeah. can just feel the Poets steel barriers really erecting in front of yeah. I mean, so, that's why you guys have to call yourself spoken word now. To it's some a bit extent, loaded. yeah. Well, when I explain <laughs> that, like my website does poetry, I'll be like, "But it's funny. It's good. It's okay. Yeah. No one's allowed to talk about their exes. It's fine." <laughs> <laughs> so the, the non-employment answer, I guess, is I'm a writer activist-ish, blogger, feminist. I think you're an activist. You're more of an active activist than I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For definite. Oh, but there's a definite sort of 
it's not like anyone's going to tell you you've levelled up in the activist world, but sometimes you go along to meetings and you think, oh, shit, there's so much more I should be doing. Oh, I feel terrible. Yeah, but everybody feels that. Like, yeah, I, I feel there's so much more that I should be doing, and then there's people I know who are doing less than me. Mm, yeah. And I don't feel superior to those people. Yeah. So I guess they, that you know, hopefully the people who are doing more than me don't <laughs> feel superior to me. That's yeah. what I, all I hope for. But I mean, you're certainly you're certainly doing stuff, and that's a lot of what some of what we're going to get into. Yeah. In fact, more than in some conversations, this kind of intro is is really functioning as a kind of like a prologue in okay. a way to a lot of the themes that we're going to be talking about. Whereas mm-hmm. sometimes it's kind of irrelevant what people do. Your answers have pretty much covered everything. <laughs> I mean, I guess the only thing done now. To well, no, <laughs> for everything I want to go into a lot more detail. Mm-hmm. On. But the one thing I I was going to say which makes sense to say now before Mm. we move on to the other stuff Mm. is you're unemployed at the Mm -hmm. moment but it's at a time when the the whole country is there's a lot more unemployment there's a lot more kind of pain do you think it's easier to be unemployed in the current climate Mm. do you think it's how do you think people feel about it now i think i think probably there is a bit more oh yeah fair enough my niece that's your age is unemployed too i think there's um yeah, I mean, I've noticed in the time that I've been unemployed, the job centres have gotten even more swamped. Like, yeah. I think everyone knows it's on the rise. And I mean, I graduated in 2008, and my first job was business to business news. I was covering manufacturing at a time that all the brick companies were going bust, all the steel companies were oh going God. bust. So, That's like, I, I could sort of see the writing. Yeah, I could see the writing on the wall quite early on. And then in the next year or so, I sort of, friends of mine graduated that were a year younger or that had taken sort of more time out. And and they had a really hard time getting a first leg up, so or foot in the door, as it were. I, I think it probably is easier to be unemployed. There's slightly less of a judgment related to it, but that doesn't mean that personally it's any easier to deal with. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've I've had mates sort of refer to me as dull scum, you know, affectionately. In a, yeah. And then go, no, 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 I'm reclaiming it. And it's like, well, you're reclaiming it, but you've got to get to work in the morning and I don't have anything I have to do all week. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, which sounds great when you're not, <laughs> when you're working, but then... It's weird. I really loved it when I was unemployed, but I'm the only person I know that has <laughs> felt that way and actually now I've come to kind of the conclusion that I'm quite unusual in <laughs> And I did a lot more work than I've ever done before. Like writing, uh, I finished a couple of like, novels when I was nice. unemployed. The sweet time was is when you're unemployed but you've got a job coming. Lined up, That's yeah. the best time. Yeah. But I, I was all right with it, actually, when mm. I was unemployed. But I, I do know how, I mean, I, I get the sense of kind of helplessness, that mm, kind of side yeah. of it. And so I do, I do sort of feel, feel for you and, and a lot of people <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm yeah. in, a, in the council, I'm, I've seen a lot of people go recently and uh, yeah. I'm sure that a lot more people will go before we've got it all up. You're a middle class unemployed person. Yeah. That's a sort of strange kind of situation as well. You're qualified. Yeah. So you don't want to take just any job. Yeah. And yeah, then there's so, there must probably some people, and you've probably come across mm. them, who say, well, you should take any job because, yeah. you know, why are you taking benefit? You should just be cleaning a toilet. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <it's>, don't worry. <laughs> it is tricky, yeah. And part of me increasingly is starting to consider the just taking anything that's going option yeah. but but it's also my cv thus far is 
good in, at the risk of sounding really smug I've got I've got a good CV yeah. behind me so I work for household names so I'm not sure if I should name yeah I, um, I wouldn't yeah okay um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a bit it's not even the idea that like I don't know stacking shelves in a supermarket would be beneath me but it's the idea that I don't know how I'd then spin that if I then interview for something that I really want like so what have you been doing recently what's your most recent job is always the first question yeah and if you go, uh, <clears throat> um, test goes, but then just gets that little bit more tricky. Maybe you could get a middle ground. That's what I did. Mm. I got a middle, kind of middle level. Like mm. I didn't get a job stacking shelves in Tesco, but mm. I had no interest at that time in my life, or maybe ever, in trying to kind of get some kind of career mm. that, that gets you money and success and all those things. Mm. Like the thing I guess people told me to do was teaching yeah I, I think I give off an air of teacher I've had a few people that like knew me when I was at school bump into me go oh hey how you doing what is it you're teaching now so that, that never was what? wow <laughs> I just give off a teacher a lot of my family are teachers I'm not going to be one not because of them but just I don't think it would suit me I hate authority and I don't really like <laughs> the idea of being authority you know yeah so what I did was get a job in the in the libraries which kind of it is shelf stacking mm. the majority of the the work that you do as a library system which I don't do anymore but mm. what I did is was putting books on shelves which is not much different yeah. from putting an orange juice carton yeah. on the shelf but the difference is you look at an orange juice carton it's not very interesting <laughs> yeah whereas you look at a book and it yeah. is interesting and so there are benefits to yeah that some jobs that aren't yeah great yeah so i guess if you're gonna if you're gonna break yeah go for go for something like a library or working in an arts center or something yeah you got quite good qualifications for that not that i want to change this into a a careers advice (laughs) session jesus knows i i I know nothing about careers where did you graduate from uh i went to uea uea university of east anglia in norwich so that's pretty good Slight Lancaster is pretty good, but it's yeah. not. It's not the. It's not the big two. Well, um, for for what I wanted to do, it was actually. Uh, oh, the risk right. of sounding like a really smug. No, you sound um, like a smug person. Um, like, it's fine. But yeah, for what I, w- I wanted to do, creative writing, and UEA is the first place that did that as a course. So they are known as the best for that. It's a bit weird because, like, having gone through the system, I don't think they have anything particularly special to teach people. But I think because they're the, they were the first, they can. They have the pick of students and tutors. So they get good quality so people. So f- for that, yeah. f- just merely through status sort of perpetuating itself, I think they're doing quite well on that front. But the problem with a creative writing degree is that it's not massively practical. Oh man, you did a degree in creative writing? Mm. Of course you did, UEA. I'm <laughs> being ridiculously dense. I uh-huh. even considered doing that course, but I, I just thought it would drive me crazy. I did creative yeah. writing as my minor. Ah. Um, okay. That's why I went to Lancaster because mm-hmm. they've got quite a good creative oh, writing uh, department there. Yeah. I'd really like to try and get my old tutor Paul Farley on the show if by some magical reason he's listening to this because he's <laughs> like the Whitbread Poetry Award winning guy. He was a good guy. He was a really good tutor. He mm-hmm. was a really good guy. I mean, he was a Liverpool working class guy that had yeah. become a poet, I think. Or well, I don't know, maybe he wasn't working class. It's problematic accents, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of doing creative writing? I kind of had the biggest dry patch creatively I'd had in a long while. Yeah, um, I know a lot of people who had that experience. Yeah. Not me, but... I'm not sure how much it was sort of to do with the, the fact that I was a writer was always kind of part of my... As soon as I identified it as something I like to do, yeah. it was sort of part of my identity and part of my social status to some yeah, extent. Yeah, um, I had that. So then when you're <laughs> surrounded by people that all do the same and a lot of them quite a bit better than you, it's like, oh shit, what, what, 
what am I? <laughs> I think also I sort of I started to notice that there was a bit of a house style and I started to self-edit a bit into trying to be the house style, oh, okay. um, which didn't work for me particularly well. Like my dissertation was going to be a funny ghost story and my tutor clearly just thought that a ghost story should be still and sad and in the present tense and my idea was for it to be a sort of pissy housemates kind of a yeah. scenario. I basically started trying to write the thing that I thought my tutor wanted me to write as opposed to what I wanted to write and my grades reflected that. Oh, man. Um, but hey. I feel that, that that's what I did in, in not for, I don't think I did that particularly in creative writing because mm. I think there wasn't that emphasis but I did that with theatre studies at university. I, mm. I wrote a play and then I didn't allow it to be my play. Mm. I tried to change it for their... And it wasn't, you know, I didn't want to change it for them. And that's the big issue, really. Mm. I think that's the thing with creative writing, my experience of it. And I, I guess this sounds like it chimes a little bit with yours, is that tutors, they can be good. Mm. But a writer can't really teach another writer because they're going to try and teach them to be like them. Mm. And that's not, that's not what any writer really needs. Yeah. They need the kind of formal stuff. They, they yeah. need to be pressed when they're writing. I, mean, I wish I knew more of that. Yeah. You know, I wish I... Because you do know more of that. You're, you've done copywriting, so you understand yeah. the grammar and the A bit, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, with the generation that sort of wasn't taught grammar formally in school. No, and yeah. I do occasionally, like, I only learnt for sure which one was a verb and which one was a noun when I was doing Spanish at A-level. I still can't get that shit down. Verbs are doing word, i.e. an AR or an ER word in Spanish, which is when I finally remember what the hell it was. Okay. But, like, I think we're missing a lot of the form. It's sort of assumed that you get it instinctively and you kind of do when you're doing high-level stuff, like editing textbooks at a university, which is what I was doing recently. Yeah. And then you realise that you're missing huge amounts to well, define how things should work. Well, UEA wasn't bad for form, but I think the problem is that they often went for high-status writers as much as good tutors. Okay. And sometimes those were the same thing, and sometimes they really, really weren't. I suspect that the best writers probably aren't the best teachers of writing. Mm. I think that probably the best teachers of writing are, like you say, probably journey people, mm. people who are interested in the craft of it mm. rather than artists, mm. because there's both... You need craft and you need art in yeah. writing, but... I don't know if artists teach very well. Yeah. I don't Depends. know. We'll see. Some, yeah, exactly. You can't really make generalisations about about any of these things. I'm trying to think which of these very juicy topics to go into. I guess let's go with the, the kind of current events one, because okay. that's probably the most interesting in some ways. <laughs> yeah. You are a Starbucks zombie. <laughs> yes. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. I got arrested from a queue in a branch of Starbucks, or rather from a queue in a branch of Starbucks, me and four other people were asked to come outside, stopped and searched, and then we were arrested when, having not done anything wrong, because we were perceived to be anti-royal protesters on account of how we were dressed like zombies on the day of the royal wedding, which is um, <laughs> a bit of a weird one. Um, yeah, I initially, the reason I was there was that um, we'd heard there was going to be a flash mob of yeah. zombies for the royal wedding. Um, a flash mob is... Do you want to define a flash mob? A flash mob is a load of people who turn up to do an event at a place, but... Organised through social networking yeah. normally so that nobody knows it's going to happen until it happens. You can't really yeah. control it for people who don't do social networking much. Yeah. I do a lot. In fact, I heard all of this in sort of twi Twitter 
and Facebook yeah. form, I was in Cornwall <laughs> to get away from the thing, and <laughs> yep. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. It was kind of like, a, from my point of view, like a soap opera. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I mean, I, I was there pr- primarily as a, I, I didn't have like an NUJ card to flash, uh, National Union of Journalists yeah. card. I do now. But at the time, I was there just to report on it for my mate who runs a zombie blog. And he lives in Norwich, so he couldn't make it. And he went, hey, you're in London, can you go along, take some pictures? So I turned up to report on it, though dressed like an idiot, because I thought it sounded like fun too. You know, yeah. sort of 50-50 party. Well, you like dressing up. And there's yeah. no, there's no, the thing is, you shouldn't have to, <laughs> you shouldn't have to argue that it's, it's legal to dress like a zombie. Mm. It, is, it is legal to dress like a zombie. Yep. It doesn't matter if it's silly. It doesn't matter. It's yep. legal. It's, yep. it's, 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 yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, And when I arrived, there was lots of police, there were lots of journalists, and there were maybe eight or ten guys in hoodies with an anarchist flag chanting the odd slogan through a megaphone, and that was it. And when I turned up, I was pretty much the only person who looked like a zombie. So the first thing I was confronted with was loads of journalists going, what are your aims in this protest? And holding a microphone in my face. And (laughs) I didn't have any answers. I was there to report for my mate Chris. I'd been visiting a mate in Wales and I got back the night before. I hadn't really been watching social media. I'd just been told that that time, that place, turn up and report on it. So, Were you tempted to just chat loads of shit to them? <laughs> um, well, I, I generally like looked embarrassed and explained that I was there as a journalist and like a couple of other journalists, real journalists yeah. with their press cards and whatever, told me, yeah, this is a damp squib of a story, nothing's happening, we're going home. <laughs> a friend of mine had heard that one of the organisers, I found out like from a text from her while I was on my way to it, um, that one of the organisers had been arrested the night before. And oh, be yeah, because they had that kind of, yeah, pre-crime... yeah. So yes. I was sort of I was already a bit aware that I, I didn't really walk over to where the anarchists and hoodies were. Mm. I, I was quite aware from the start that this was potentially potentially something bad might happen. Well a but... lot of people were arrested mm. without having broken any laws yeah. over that time, so you were right to be scared. I yeah. Think. And then one other person turned up who was gonna report on it for the blog. And she's someone, her name's Amy. I'd seen her before doing a sort of academic lecture on zombies and William Dafoe and plague uh, and stuff. Um, I'd is seen... she, she, she's not involved with the zombie LARP, is she? Or is no. It, is that no, thing? that's another lot of... Fr- yeah. Um, you, you know those people? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, the zombie LARP people used to be my housemates. At I saw those. I saw them at the story. I saw them uh, um, do a talk. But anyway, mm, go on. Yeah, actually, one of the zombie LARP people was the person who texted me going, someone got arrested the night before. Be careful. Amy, who I'd been at the same event as but I didn't actually know her but my mate Chris who'd sent us both given us each other's numbers and so we met up one of those anarchists had brought a quote-unquote zombie wedding cake which was like a chocolate sponge cake and they started handing out slices so that's the one moment I sort of went close to the anarchisty people and got uh, to get a photo of the cake and then I was given a slice of cake and I was sat in the grass with Amy while we she if an anarchist offers you cake yeah. it's reasonable to take the yeah. cake it does yep. not make you an anarchist <laughs> I mean, I am an anarchist, but I wouldn't be in that in the dressed like those people and yeah. doing things that they might or might not do. Yeah. But it's funny. I have a problem like now because anarchists now now we're in the news all the time. Mm. I was never in the news before. I just used to be an anarchist, and that's because you know that's what I believe. And, and it's seen as an incriminating well, factor. I'm now. on the list. I'm on the list. There's mm. a list of like terrorists and anarchists are on it, and I'm not. I've never done anything mm. violent in my life. Mm. Yeah, it's it's weird how much looking back that I sort of feel the need to justify it. But I, yeah. I did this. But that was okay, and I did this. But that but that's not. Yeah, because you do sort of feel incriminated by it. Um, yeah. So sat in the grass with my mate Amy. Three other people approached 
by the makeup and we sort of they started painting they brought along makeup that they hadn't got on yet and we sort of sat around started chatting we were chatting for all about 10 minutes when we noticed lots of shouts from the sort of from the sort of anarchist group and they said that the police had taken their friend i went closer and there was a line of police blocking one of the entrances to soho square sort of all stood shoulder to shoulder and the anarchist guys shouting at them and apparently i found out now they'd arrested just snatched and grabbed someone for no reason um but when i went closer to try and get a photo of that i stood up on a bench to try and sort of get a photo past the group and that's when i noticed that three out of four of the roads were lined with police leading into soho square and so I went back to the sort of four people I was now with and went, guys, guys, we should leave now. We're going to get kettled or yeah. something. And as we were leaving, one of them suggested, well, should we go get a drink or something? We've only just gotten, we've only just met each other. You seem nice. Should we go get a drink? And the first thing when you leave Soho Square is there's a Starbucks on the corner of Oxford Street. And they went, well, should we get a coffee? And I went, guys, guys, should we move a bit further away? No, well, well, we're not part of it now. It's fine. And so we got coffees. Um, I was still queuing up when a load of police turned up, asked us to step outside searched our bags they were perfectly polite and nice at the time but there was always the implied threat that you know one step wrong you're being lined up people that walk past called it a kettle there are about 10 officers holding the five of us very very close to the window of the starbucks they searched our bags said that was fine hadn't found anything interesting and then the voice came on the walkie-talkie saying actually arrest those guys you heard that said uh no what one of the people sort of Mm. No, one one of the officers who was sort of more in charge and stood back from the people that were actually doing the stop and search came by and said, no, sorry, I've just got news that actually right. actually, you guys are going to be arrested, so we're going to keep you here until the other people arrive that are going amazing. to arrest you. It's amazing. It's like, it's like the trial, like mm. Kafka's trial. I've never read that book, but it's like the, it's like <laughs> the, it's like the story of that book, though. Because mm. like, you're just in a coffee shop, yeah, and then you're being arrested yeah did they caution you and, and all that stuff no they the they searched us and they sort of found nothing interesting at that point i think yeah, i can't remember exactly. what were their grounds for searching you well we asked and they said section 60 which i've since found out actually means that they can search anyone in any place and they don't need reasonable suspicion why um it's the kind of thing it's a temporary thing they'll put in around a certain area say like a football ground if they think it's going to be football so they're somewhere. saying oh it's the day of the royal wedding and in we're in london so anybody can be searched because pretty much that means that yeah 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 right, okay but they found nothing interesting they found nothing incriminating but then when the news had changed on the walkie-talkie then the tone changed a lot as well and they said but they were holding on to us because we might cause a breach of the peace and we said how and they said well the way you're dressed and we said well we've got changes of clothes in our bags yeah. and they went well that'll, that'll count in your favor but no well we if you let us go into the starbucks toilet we can go change our clothes now wash our faces no 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 because you might you know meet other people change back into your clothes and then but it's not <laughs> I, I mean it is not illegal mm -hmm. to dress like a zombie <laughs> like it is yeah. you know it's not illegal to be I mean, I wear funny hats, you know, mm. like that's my choice. It's not illegal to be an exhibitionist. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm a natural born show off. I'm an ex-goth. I love my tie dye. Like the whole, yeah. the whole, yeah, you're wearing that. Therefore, you're suspicious. It's, I have found myself actually like on the way to fancy dress parties these days, like sort of double checking in my head if I could explain myself. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird. And you're arrested mm -hmm. there in front of Starbucks in Oxford Street. Yeah. They take you to this police station. Yeah. One group of officers were brought in specially to arrest us. It was three different sets of officers. It was one lot that stopped and searched us, another lot that was brought in to effect the arrest, and then we were brought to a third police station that was nothing to do with any of those two 
okay. either. Um, so it was clearly a sort of London-wide thing, and it was clearly someone on the end of the walkie-talkie that had told them to arrest us. So yeah, we were handcuffed and sat in a police van, driven across London, which took about an hour and a half, uh, an hour and 15 minutes. And then we were booked in, everything searched, every pocket of your wallet gone through and all that crap. Had all my jewellery and watch and stuff confiscated because I might self-harm with my earrings. They tried to confiscate my glasses because I might self-harm with those. Do, do you really need those to see? Well, it's um, a tricky thing. I mean, I guess in your case, they pretty much know you're going to be safe. But I do think it is a mm. wise move. If you take away someone's liberty, they are likely to self-harm. The question is, should you take away so many people's liberties yeah. so freely? But I mean, but once I'd had the check-in questionnaire about my mental history and had I yeah. ever self-harmed, have I ever done this, that, or the other, I did find myself when lunch came in staring at this plastic fork, going, "I could break that in half and scratch myself." Yeah, I mean that's, that's I could, true. like it's been you put can, in you your can brain. Do what the hell and, you like. and you're incredibly bored in a police oh, cell as well. It's there. like it's sensory deprivation. There's no clocks in there. You have no idea how much time's passed. There's not a window you can look out of. Everything on the inside is just completely smooth and flat and yeah, yeah nothing absolutely nothing so my favorite bit of the police station log was because uh, we got those released with lawyers and stuff afterwards was uh, 315 checked in on detained person in cell detained person is sat on the floor on a mattress singing um <laughs> like there's there's fuck all to do you've got yourself and your body that's about it yeah, yeah. i did a bit of yoga i did some sit-ups i did some singing because there's nothing to do what the fuck else are you gonna do yeah. yeah but yeah so then we were released pretty much the second the royal wedding was over as soon as they were convinced that we weren't going to harm anyone or whatever they thought we were going to do and since then uh we've gotten in touch with lawyers and there is a judicial review pending yeah. it's not suing someone it's investigating the processes that led to a particular decision which we hope will lead to a judgment that means that you can't arrest people preemptively you, yeah, well I, I can't believe that you can mm, well there is that, that. Can. it feels like minority report you know yeah yeah, no, I mean, it, it is creepy, and a lot of the language, I think, has been redefined by the police and the uh, legal system lately, so I think a court case in that direction to redefine, no, guys, that's clearly yeah. Orwellian bullshit, no, you can't. Well, since we um, don't have a constitution, mm, and our, our laws is just basically, it changes all the time depending on each case, you mm, should have a case, you're right, yeah. to push it back the other way. Yeah. We should probably have a lot of cases. I think, and there will be, but I think because it takes so long for things to go through the legal system, we were really hoping it would be tied up very soon and very early, not least for the Olympics and the Diamond Jubilee, where it's pretty much anticipated that the police are going to do exactly the same thing again. And I think there's going to be a Section 60 where you can stop and search anyone pretty much around all of the Olympics site. And there's a lot of people in uh, activist and police monitoring circles saying that any local teenager is just going to have the hell harassed out of them during that time uh. oh yeah exactly it's, I mean it's probably I mean especially in relation to the fact that there were you know the riots happened as mm. well that now we're scared except of that, the youth except we'll that stop. one of the main reasons for the riots often when people interviewed the rioters was a sense of dissatisfaction with the police often based on stop and search when I sort of posted on Facebook and Twitter and all the things that, you know, we, we spend our time doing these days, a lot of people were like laughing or saying, you know, who, you know, it's ridiculous that some middle class people would go and dress up as zombies. I'm sure you've heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's not that's not the point. The yeah. point is that if some people are getting arrested for dressing like zombies, yeah. then there's some people that ha are out there standing up for their rights being arrested <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and the, yeah. and, the, and the, the, we're supposed to live in a society where you can stand up for your rights and dress up like a zombie mm. you know we 
we're supposed to be in that situation. Yeah, I remember like the night, I mean, I was sort of released about about four o'clock um, and met up with some friends and then we went down to the pub and blah. And I remember later that night saying sort of fairly drunkly, what's the point? I mean, it wasn't fair that they did that. It wasn't right, but it's so stupid. I'm, I'm not sure I can really be bothered. It seems too stupid to pursue. And then the morning after I woke up, thinking something bad happened what was that something and then sort of all the memories flooded back and I was like ah right yes getting right on that and that's when I wrote the blog post and started gathering inf- found out that this had happened all over the shop and it was right to do so mm. I mean anybody that dismisses it in terms of class should think well if a mm. middle class person is being treated this way then how much worse is a working class mm. person being treated yeah. and if the middle class people don't stand up and, and, and say stop pushing us about yeah. then it's going to get even ridi- more yeah. ridiculous for everybody <laughs> Jesus. And also, like, I, I've found myself discussing class quite a lot with quite a lot of people. I just finished reading a book called Watching the English, which is really, really ah, good. It's really on my list of things to read, actually. Um, but, yeah, I realise I'm... I didn't have terms for it before. I realise I'm now solidly upper middle class, um, which isn't related to money. I'm not rich, I promise. Yeah, um, but <laughs> there's like, that weird thing, isn't there? Yeah. But, it, but I've heard people sort of say, oh, that's so middle class, often in a kind of dismissive way, and it's like, well, fuck off. Like, yeah. you, you don't tell... Sort of, I, I can't imagine anyone saying the same with the same air of disdain to a working class person. Oh, that's so um, working class because that would be seen as more. I don't think so. Mm. I think that people do say things with absolutely that level of disdain, probably but more not, disdain to yeah. working class people. Mm. But it doesn't make it right for it to be done to middle class yeah. people. Okay. But I, you know, I, I accept your point, and and I also think that that's a class related thing in itself. Mm. What you're saying is that the people who say these things to you about you being middle class mm. would not treat a working class person in that way. Yeah. Middle class people, we have to face up to the problems that we create, mm. right? And that we, the, the, the system that we are benefiting more from. But that doesn't mean that we have to hate ourselves. You know what I mean? We don't have yeah. to hate ourselves. That's just, that's just pointless in itself. It's yeah. divide and rule. They want the middle class to be fighting the working classes mm. because it's, it's, the, it's the 1% that have got mm. the money now. Yep. Also in the book it said sort of to be English is to be permanently embarrassed but also the middle classes are even more embarrassed all the time. It's just sort of, there's a sort of inbuilt awkwardness. Yeah, that's true. For some Um, middle class people. mm. I mean, there is a variety of different ways that people experience class as well. Like I I know people who are very confident because of their class Mm. and I know people who are very kind of insecure because Mm. of their class and and both those sets of people are middle class. (laughs) Like it's not like, it's not like everybody who's middle class experienced life in the same way. I mean, I learned when I went to university that, you know, people who went to grammar school could be nice people. You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I learned when I went out into the world and met them that people who went to Oxford and Cambridge could be nice people. Yeah. You know, that's just the way of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I've also had to accept that I'm middle class, <laughs> <laughs> which I wasn't very comfortable doing when I was it's a kind of feels like a support group. Hi, my name's well, I, a lot of my friends were working class mm-hmm. when I grew up and my family is kind of very left wing so mm. I was kind of uh, but then I, I, I imagine that you have that kind of uh, yeah. family leanings like yeah. in terms of your left wing right? um, yeah I think they're more sort of more sort of bohemian and arty than yeah. sort of intensely politicised. Bohemian um, and arty is, is, is fine too. Yeah. I always want to say bohemian sometimes when yeah. I talk about my, my background, but yeah. I don't want to sound really pretentious. Yeah, yeah. But my dad made documentary films oh, and cool. was a writer. I mean, so there, there is that. That's pretty cool. Wow. He wasn't, like, he wasn't as successful. <laughs> but he, he was, ah. that's what he did. Yeah. That's what he does. 
right still. Awesome. Your upbringing is kind of bohemian, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't know. We, I mean, that maybe that's another word that needs to be reclaimed. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that your upbringing was feminist? Yeah, definitely. Or. I mean, I'm not sure that my family setup was that interesting in a kind of like, I mean, my my dad was the one that went out to work and my mom raised kids until she retrained as a teacher when me and my brother were back at school. But yeah, I mean, in terms of our leanings and our attitudes, I remember once we were around um, someone's house when me and my brother were still quite little and she sort of gave us pens and paper to draw on and she had two sheets of paper, one was kind of pale pink and one was kind of pale blue. And she gave the pink one to me and the blue one to my brother and went, sorry, a bit sexist, oh well. And me and my brother looked at each other and without saying a word, swapped Weird. pieces of paper. How old were you? Uh, probably about maybe eight or nine. In terms of attitudes and stuff, I didn't realise how cool some of the... I didn't realise how cool some of the stuff I was raised with was until I sort of... I was raised feminist, but only in a kind of like, sexism's wrong, duh, kind of a way. I mean, there wasn't sort of... When did you I wasn't just, indoctrinated in terms of... When did of you define reading. yourself as a feminist? Um, I think I probably always would have, but it didn't mean that much to me because I hadn't had to fight for it until sort of maybe a bit of university when you're sort of chucked in with a m- way more different different attitudes than you probably would have been in the neighbourhood yeah. you grew up in. Yep. But also my first job, graduate job was one where the boss didn't shake hands with women. Okay. And Is that a religious thing? No, no. He was white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, and boring. <laughs> there wasn't Jesus. any kind of yeah. So I sort of I didn't. I, I, I can't even I didn't... understand that. Mm. Yep. Like I mean, there. I'm not saying that everything about like I'm a man. Mm. Not everything about misogyny confuses me. Some of it I understand. Yeah. But don't like. Yeah. But I understand it. Mm. There are kind of hormonal elements to it there's kind of you know complexities to do with biology mm. but to not shake hands with another human being yeah. like it's patently obvious <laughs> that women's minds are as valid and interesting as mm. men, men's minds it's, it's obvious yeah you're wasting you're missing <laughs> out so annoying yeah i think it was primarily at my jobs i first came across really really you think that jesus yeah, so I kind of... What was that What's that like? Um, I'm never going to experience sexism. Oh, boy. Um, depends. Not in that, that way, one, not that kind of sexism. That one, it was more a sort of unwillingness to socialise with women that we didn't really count, rather than sort of... I mean, no one particularly wanted to socialise with a boss who was a jerk. But that one was more of a sort of unwillingness and him not coming over to the table that was all girls, whereas with all the guys, he'd sort of go over, shake hands, talk about football, whatever. I think, he, I think it might have been an element of uncomfortableness on his half that he felt he didn't know how to speak... Yeah, to female employees. that's quite a, quite a frequent problem that a lot of men um, have, I think. Yeah, so... But that doesn't necessarily excuse them. Yeah, it was more <laughs> just sort of me and the other two women I sat with, like, did, did that just happen? He didn't come over here? Yeah, what? He went over to design and that's further away than we are. Huh, Glenn's a jerk. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't really sort of... Have you had to... I mean, you haven't had to struggle, I guess, cause, so I guess it's that much as a, as a woman, although not you get really. it. I'm not saying that anyone is exempt mm. from sexism within this society yeah. but you've probably not had to handle yeah. it as badly as, as some people no I'm, I'm quite aware that I've lived quite a well a very lucky life in terms of well for a loud bisexual female living in any place or time I think I'm doing pretty damn well to be where I am when yeah. I am like I, yeah. I my my life could have been so much more difficult in a 
different culture or in a different time frame. To some extent, I do feel that I am the the happy result of many other people's hundreds of years of struggle. Yeah. But at the same time, that we're not done yet, and I also being aware of how lucky I am. When I came out, it, I didn't lose any friends. Yeah. Like that, I'm. I've had such a lucky ride. I'm very aware of what might have been. Yeah, how I mean, it could have been and we, so for that reason were your parents feel, cool with it from the start yeah yeah pretty much my mum's first words were this doesn't get you out of grandkids you know <laughs> that was about it there was a bit of are you sure kiddo I mean I, I think women's lip bodies are beautiful but I don't really want to do anything there was a lot of sort of just convincing wow, them that I, I I meant it cool um, but that was about <laughs> it well it was like how much detail do you want me to go into yeah I really do want to get up to stuff and I really yeah. quite <laughs> I don't want to be having this conversation well, but why did you come out as bi because you don't really have to yeah yeah there is that um I think to be honest it was kind of leaking out around the edges anyway um no I mean I think it's good you should mm. And I do remember actually having a chat with a friend of mine saying, look, what's the point? I mean, if I haven't got a girlfriend to introduce everyone to, can I be bothered? It's not that big a deal. But I think just it, it started leaking out around the edges, to be honest. I'd started sort of steering conversations towards slightly gay topics. <laughs> or um, like my gay doll was getting, going into overdrive. I was convinced that most women I liked and admired must must be a bit gay. Um, so I realised... That's just wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's just, there was like, some that's just like, like me like thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've never actually thought anyone's going to fancy me. I don't know why mm. I started saying that. But, I mean, it's, yeah, it's be like me thinking of all of the women that I fancy and thinking, oh, yeah, they might they might, they might, might fancy kind of uh, strange bearded men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I do think that about you, actually. I think, you know, how lucky, not in a bad way, I'm not blaming you mm. for the luck. Like, <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, it's like I'm very lucky at the moment. Mm. I mean, you, you're in the house I'm in. It's vastly yeah, above my ability to pay for a house and I don't really know how it's happened mm-hmm. I am lucky as, as well that I'm able to sort of pursue writing and things mm-hmm. like this though I mean fucking hell there are people in the third world at this mm-hmm. very moment in time mm-hmm. I mean I don't even know why we call it the third world I, I, I'm not sure if we should or not I keep mm-hmm. just I can't even work it out if you're supposed to use I really get yeah. lost in terms but there are people in other countries yeah. that we are using mm-hmm. right this minute there are people who Work, who work to make my iPhone. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky that I'm not them. Mm. You're an activist, mm. partly because you don't agree with, like I don't agree mm. with, like any sensible person, which, yeah. you know, I, <sighs> doesn't agree with that happening. Yeah. How do we stop that happening? Um. And will it mean we'll stop being lucky? I don't think so. Um, I, th- I think to some extent we are clearly living on borrowed time in a lot of ways in terms of resources and money and stuff. Yeah, I um, think so. And I think that we have in our brains a standard of living which is given to us by the media rather than any need or sort of covering the basics that any person needs. Yeah. And that's what's driving... It's, it's greed and aspiration that's driving a lot of the worst inequalities that we see at the minute. But no, I think I think we can do a lot better. I think... So much of what's holding the world back, I think, is in terms of vested interests. And in terms of systems being set up for only one goal, which are blind to the other, uh, to the wider factors. I mean, the fact that in some places it's cheaper to pump the waste out of a factory untreated straight into a river and then pay for compensation, rather than just treating your own waste in the first place. You idiots, you have the technology. I think a lot of stuff is corporations and media setting 
unrealistic expectations and a lot of vested interest keeping things in directions which aren't necessarily for the greater good um, uh, yeah. but I mean I have met people who Quakers and at Woodcraft we got some pretty amazing speakers like I have met people who are so dedicated to say their environmental goals that they'll consider buying a bar of chocolate in a news agent and then they'll think about the plastic wrapper that will take 500 years to biodegrade and they won't buy that <sighs> and I would love to be Good that people, dedicated yeah. but I those people I it's it's off, so often a balancing act between living your principles and still staying in the world that it's it, weird, isn't it? It's, I it's, mean, sometimes I wonder, like, am I worse than I'm? I'm probably worse than somebody who is ignorant because I'm aware of the mm. stuff and I'm doing it anyway. Oh, like, I stopped drinking Coke, which mm-hmm. is my favourite drink, mm-hmm. right? and I stopped drinking it for about three years when they shot their trade union yep. leaders in South America. Yep, but. I drink it now again because I'm like, well, what's the point in just this? It's like symbolic to not drink Coke because I'm still consuming all of these other things. Yeah. And I got the list off the internet when I, of everything uh, that I was own. at U, that was well, when I was at uni. I, I did really consider being a what they called then. I don't know if they still call it this now, an ethical consumer. I really, mm-hmm. really considered it yeah. very strongly. I still try. I mean, I, I do try not to not to. Not to do evil, mm-hmm. but it's very, very, very yeah. hard. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a little yeah. business card that had on a printout ev- the names of everything Nestle owned or part owned. Yeah, you see. And you'd be trying to buy a bottle of mineral water because you're thirsty in a news agent. So you're looking through and like, nope, they own that one, that one. It's that harder one, to one. be an ethical consumer than a uh, vegetarian oh, yeah. or vegan. I mean, it's, it's harder. It's like, because everything, because everything, like everything you buy is, is probably bad. You know, like anything, you, you know. Like, I mean, you know, I, I recently got, for my 30th birthday, uh, I got a iPhone from my family. Mm-hmm. It's really brilliant. It's changed <laughs> my life, right? Mm-hmm. But I know, like, that there are Chinese workers in terrible conditions that have put that shit together. Yeah. And I know, even worse than that, that there is a war happening in the Congo as a result of the, the mineral, mineral inside... I read the other day it wasn't even just the one mineral. It's like every bloody mineral that's come in from it is coming from the Congo. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, uh, revolutionising my life and it's brilliant and I love it. Yeah. And I don't know how to square those two things together. Yeah. And you sort of think, oh, well, if I didn't buy it, it wouldn't help. It only helps if everyone doesn't buy it. But then if yeah. nobody stops yeah. buying it, then nobody stops buying it. You know, the only way you get to everybody stopping buying it is yeah. for one person to start. I think it's a question of degrees a lot of the time. I mean, like, uh, it's degrees and also trying to make sure to as much extent as you can as just sort of an end consumer um, that the stuff that when you hear about a bad thing, you try and do your best to avoid it. But at the same time, yeah, sometimes you need a bottle of water and Nestle owns every single one that's in that newsagent and it's the only one around. Like, it's it's yeah. hard work. And, like, sometimes you find out like what you think is the right thing turns out not to be because actually when they say they recycle the parts actually what happens is often they get shipped off to oh, I think it was circuit board in India where people just keep dipping it in types of acid until all the coppers all that's left uh, I don't know about this it's and so then that so people that think they're recycling their electronics are actually like child labour is standing in acid trying to get this thing. like that it's it's well, I mean, really hard it's this, a balancing this, act this I is think. why my natural instinct is that the only way to actually affect successful change rather mm. than ethical consumerism mm. is to fundamentally change the 
political and economic system that we mm. govern the world by, yeah. which I guess means revolution, which I'm against because I'm kind of non-violent. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. I don't think revolution has to be violent. I mean, No, I know it doesn't the, have to but be, it sounds like, but yeah. does it work if it isn't? Well, I think also a lot of the stuff... Uh, um, I mean... But then it doesn't this, work if it is. This would take a long time tracking down each and every damn example, but things like legislation can be a huge help. Legislation about, I don't know, for the environment, uh, legislation about every new built house must have must meet X TOG value and produce, say, yeah. 10% of its own electricity. That could be a huge help. Like, legislation in the right beings, direction can... Human beings aren't that great. I mean, and we're talking about a big... We're talking about a lot more bureaucracy. We're talking about a big bureaucratic system. Mm. Like, even to have these systems, like, every time the department... A government department changes their name mm. that costs us millions and millions of pounds in stationary bills. Mm. I mean, like that's how ridiculous we've become. Yeah, that we can't actually do that. You know, I don't think we can do that in a. I, yeah, I hope we can. I hope mm. we can. I'll try to be positive. Mm. Um, <laughs> try to be more positive, but I mean, it, it's hard for me to to think it's going to. I mean, I, I just think we're going to run out of oil, and then we're going to be forced to make yeah. some hard decisions and I, I hope that they are well made I mm. hope those decisions are well made and that's the that's the funny thing yeah. the cuts that are happening now I'm completely against I mm. don't think they need to happen yep. but when we run out of resources different decisions will have to be made but yeah. they'll have to be much more radical than just um, yeah. let's take away some benefits from some people they'll have to be like let's yep. completely change the way we consume yeah yeah, and I did sort of, uh, my gap year involved a bit of time on a sort of uh, hippie commune, sort of back to the land place, where I learnt how to, except that it was in the States and the voltages and stuff and temperatures were completely different, but I learnt how to make houses out of mud and oh, cool. um, how to install solar panels and all kinds of really cool, interesting bits of green technology. But pretty much all of them, towards the end, I realised most of them were involved around having enough land that you can set up a water filtration system for everything that comes yeah. out of your house. Like, it's not designed for city living and not living in... I've, I've always lived in London, not, not counting time at uni. And, yeah, not living in a city isn't a change I'm yet willing to make. No, see that's... How see, it this is really interesting. But, this is exactly my problem. Mm. Like, I don't think we've got enough land to do it anyway. I land mean, is the issue. Mm. You have to have land. Land, land is... What, what will give people the p possibility to be self-sufficient but mm. we thought very strongly about being self-sufficient for mm. many years mm -hmm. and it just it's hard yeah like it's hard to do and it's hard for me to leave a city i think mm. i like the countryside too it's not even the city it's the what the city represents mm. so it's it's electric guitars it's <laughs> it's computers yeah it's 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 like, that stuff you can't do self-sufficient, really. And for me, the best thing about a city is everything that's going on in it, sort of. Yeah. So many sort of arty, social things all over the place. Like, I, that's one of the things I love the most about being in, well, any city, and especially this one. And I'd love it more if I didn't work. <laughs> if yeah. I didn't have a job. If, if I could make art as a living, I mm. think I would love that quality a lot yeah. more. But I just can't imagine if you live in a rural location that you get to say two or three comedy nights, uh, gigs or something every week. That's that's. No, that's true. I'd write my I'd write more novels if I yeah. lived in it. But it's it's certainly, I guess, what the city represents to me is an mm. audience in a mm. way. Like I I want to make art and yep. I want to connect with an audience yep. and it's very hard to do that in isolation. Yeah. 
And if I want to do performance-based art, which I kind of do, yeah. then... Yep. Yeah. Or some very clever YouTube videos, which you're probably on to already. Maybe I should do, you know, just go and move into the countryside and just do weird YouTube videos. But <laughs> by that, by, but I'd have to have a profile before I got to that stage. <laughs> this is the sort of area of the show that I would normally say, you know, do you have anything to plug? Okay. And that kind of also is a topic in itself. So kind of we can <laughs> combine the two in a way. I think. Okay, my own baby is uh, I run a thing called the Whippersnapper Press, which is for uh, a website for short, sharp, funny, creative writing. And is it for young people? Um, it's more it's more of an attitude and a state of mind. Is that because <laughs> you're getting older? Um, no, no, not entirely. I mean, we've had some really really funny people that have turned up. At, we've run a few events. We're going to run some more. Yeah, we've had people that have turned up and read really really funny things and then gone, oh shit, can can I give you this for the website? Because like I'm 45 and it's like. Yeah, but that's fine. That's it's a state of mind. It's yeah. a concept. Okay. I, I see it as more sort of like bratty and sort of irreverent rather than sort of necessarily really young. If you're really young, you're writing crap. And don't worry, everyone does it. Yeah, apart from a few people who don't and they're the people that, you know, you hate the most. Yeah, first, that too. First novel when they're 20 is amazing yeah. or whatever, all that yeah, stuff. I wrote my first novel when I was 16, but I reread yeah. it from like the fetal yeah. position because I'm cringing that much. Yeah, I, I, um, I find my, my past work often very painful mm. or it's often it's like, nice when you find a nice bit though yeah, yeah it's nice. actually i find that the weirdest bit is like i'll reread it and i'll be like oh this whole novel i should just chuck out the whole way i really like that half a page the whippersnappers yes press. there's the whippersnapper press which is for short shop funny creative writing i also write for a blog called bad reputation which is badreputation.org.net uh, which is a feminist pop culture blog, a feminist pop culture adventure, it calls itself. And that was set up by my friend Miranda. It's been running for just over a year. How many of you are the rights? Um, it's it's about a core team of about eight or ten, and then there's... So it's basically like from... a kind of magazine, isn't it? It's a magazine yeah. blog. Yeah. I, I, I read it from time to time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like any magazine. Sometimes, sometimes you really agree with it, and sometimes it infuriates you. <laughs> that, and yeah. that's how it should be. That's how... All magazines should be. And you're doing spoken word stuff. Yeah. Yourself. Yeah. I, I do the odd appearance. I'm I'm not as regular as I used to be. But yeah, I, I do some spoken word stuff at various nights. I don't really have a sort of time or place no. to plug for that. But you're looking to get whippersnappers into a regular night. Is that yeah. Yeah. Um, on the 1st of March, we have a, a f- what will hopefully be the first uh, of a monthly night. But we'll have to see how it goes. So everyone turn up and impress the landlord and then it'll be a monthly night. Which is, yeah, for short, sharp, funny, creative writing, stuff that's innovative. I like stuff that plays in formats. One of the things we've got on the site that's got the most hits is called Sex, a choose-your-own-adventure game. Which is all about a night out and a guy trying to get some okay, yeah, like, I, I, innovative I think that's a format. nice example. I think yeah. that gives people a really good kind of taste of what, what to expect. Mm. So, I mean... Hang on, so the 1st of March is a... Uh, Thursday. It's a Thursday. So so going to that whippersnappers thing on Thursday, the 1st of March, does not mean that you can't come to my stand-up tragedy <laughs> night on the 5th of March, on the Monday afterwards. So have a have a double bill and go and see both both halves of the, of, uh, of the conversations, uh, shows. I will be trying to go to the whippersnappers one. Um, so I... I may weird that'd be weird if I met somebody I don't know but then maybe if I meet you and I don't know you you can come on the show anyway that's a little bit too direct to the audience for my (laughs) liking I'm trying to sort of work out ways to cross promote yeah yeah but still be true to the uh, (laughs) concept Um, 
But yeah, I didn't even get to to ask you about what it's like to have a double-barreled name, really. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I mean, your because your blog is called Hannah Double Barrel, isn't it? Yeah, HannahDoubleBarrel.wordpress.com. Yeah. The name of that may, means that you know you. Like, you find something funny about having a double-barrel name, don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, also because I've got a weird one. Like, both halves are quite difficult to spell. And, like, <laughs> like, the conjunction only happened when my parents got married. So yeah, like, I had a hard time spelling your name. Yeah. Because I want it to be Eichmann, but it's not. Mm. Because that's the, the, the name I've got in my head. Wasn't it a Nazi? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> I've got a Nazi name in my head when I'm trying to write a Jewish name. Yeah. I think that's, 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 oh. a, that's the Jewish half, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's weird because like both halves are weird and difficult to spell. So I've actually learnt phonetics for it: Echo India Sierra, Echo Mike Alpha November Hyphen Romeo, Echo November Yankee Alpha Romeo Delta. Because wow. I have to spell it out over the phone all the fucking time. Um, I would have no idea what that meant though. <laughs> I, I would be like, what? 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 I go um, slower in real life. And I'd be like, oh my god, like the bill, the bill. What? What were the things that they said in the bill? <laughs> I think because I. I'm aware of how other people react to it and yeah. assume that it means posh. It doesn't. It means impractical hippies. Um, but yeah, or, you know, it means they got kind of... They, they got beliefs about, you know, equality. That too. That too. You know? it, yeah. I mean, I think... Looking I have these prejudices myself. Yeah. But at the same time, I think they're ridiculous. Like, I would hear, <laughs> I would hear a double barrel name and, and... Like, if I was writing a character that was middle class, I'd give them a double barrel yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, would, so you know. it's it's a weird one. It's kind of yeah. I think looking back, my parents realised they made a horrible mistake, but too late. And they always joked about telling me not to marry the other kid down the street that had a double barrel name, because then you'd be quadruple barrel, and that would be silly. But it is ha, a big ha, ha, thing. Ha. Like when um, me and when me and Jen were thinking about getting married, yeah. we were like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to have a double barrel. That's ridiculous. Like Adam Thwaite and Pickering. Like it's Those a similar problem pretty, yeah. that you've got. Like they're quite long. They're, they're yeah. big names in themselves. Yeah. But so I always wanted to like combine it. That'd like, be even more so. Yeah, that'd be six syllables. Or it'd be like Pickathwaite, something <laughs> like that. But um, those are interesting. But then you kind of you get yeah. connected to your name. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. think Jen wants to get rid of it. Like her name. And why should it be my name that like yeah. wins in the yeah. kind of yeah? I think that's one of the reasons my parents joined up. Yeah, it's like my mom also had come from a different country and both her parents died quite young so I think the whole idea of giving up even the name was like no what yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's fair. but yeah I think they didn't pick the best names to double barrel um, but at the same time like I can't think of any uh, sometimes people said oh just go with one but I, but which parent do you give up at that point it's kind of and also as a writer I guess it, it, it makes you stick out yeah like and, and that's a good thing yeah like Benedict Cumberbatch is yeah. a terrible name but Jesus Christ is going to make him stick in everyone's yeah. head and yeah. thankfully he's an excellent actor so yeah. that really goes well for him and yeah. it's a similar thing isn't it you've got a name that sticks in people yeah. I always remember that you've got a double barrel name but it is a bit like your blog I, I always go Hannah double barrel like I can't I can never get it right like how to actually say your name yeah and for a while you like you, you you quite often you just like stick another word in as well like when like oh yeah for your like nicknames and stuff yeah it makes it very hard to remember anything after that sorry no yeah. no it's good I goof about on Facebook a lot of my friends have been giving themselves stupid middle names my favourite this week was some friend of mine decided his name was Guy Dog Strangler and surname um, that's a, an interesting <laughs> middle name <laughs> it's just well I don't have a real middle name so I kind of feel like it's it's the one bit I've got free to play with <laughs> yeah I mean you know whatever it's like it's like dressing up like a zombie you know you're free to do it yeah um 
and the last thing I really say to people, mm. uh, oh, before that, I say it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted ah. with you, which it has been. Which that's become my catchphrase. And I, I listened back to an earlier one, and I, um, before I knew knew that that was going to be my catchphrase, and it mm. wasn't there, and I, was, and I felt felt wrong to feel empty yeah well, if, um, <laughs> that you missed a full story well, i don't put them out in sequence yeah. so the early ones can hear any time there's still some other early ones that are yeah. going to come out any time so mm. there might be ones where i forget whole sections because i haven't developed them yet but anyway the last thing i ask people mm. to do is to say uh, goodbye to the audience goodbye audience i'm waving but i don't think you can see it no, you can't but lots and lots of people do that goodbye <laughs> i just did <laughs> So if you have a evil iPhone or another smartphone that has lots of uh, bad things inside it and it's made in a really bad way, then you can hear Getting Better Acquainted on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favourite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire and beyond. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And it's not just getting better acquainted, you can get on there, you can get Stand Up Tragedies podcast, you can pretty much get any podcast that you want. And if you want to listen to the Getting Better Acquainted back catalogue, if you've just discovered us, get onto Stitcher and you can listen to all the past episodes as well. So it's a good way of getting it all in one place without having to download it all and all that nonsense. Also, look out for the Stand Up Tragedy live show on March the 5th. Tickets available now check out www.standuptragedy.co.uk for more details if you want to help out Stand Up Tragedy and getting better acquainted and help me to make more cool independent podcasts then please check out the Indiegogo campaign and find details on the Getting Better Acquainted site or the Stand Up Tragedy site give what you can, contribute what you can don't need very much, just what you can afford but the deadline for that is the 1st of March which is the same day that the Whippersnapper Press show at the Miller is on so that's the deadline please if you're going to give give now and if you're not going to give why not 